tell me what the book of Galatians is about, what would you say? Just short and sweet, not of the that Jesus is enough and what he did and who he is and there's things that you cannot add or take away. Yeah, well, that's true. Grace. About the law. I think it's not Don't go back to the law. Jesus is enough. He's pretty ticked off, isn't he? He seems like he is to me. Um, in verse, in chapter four, chapter three and four, he's been he's been talking to us about not going back to works. He's talking about in one and two, he kind of defended himself, saying, "I am an apostle." You finna raise your hand? No. There he says, "No, not already. We like two minutes in." But I'm just like curious as to like where he was. Is he hearing all this secondhand? Like, are they? How is he knowing what's yeah, they're probably writing letters, sending people back and forth, Epaphroditus and Timothy. Because and... that would take a while, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. It'd take longer than email, that's for sure. It's coming across in the letter. No, it was worked up when he wrote it. When I say worked up, I don't mean like he was angry. Y'all going to hell. That kind of angry. He was, he was upset that, you remember now, I mean, think about it. He established the church in Galatia. And he taught these people for however long he stayed there. And then when he moved on, as soon as he left, in moves Judaizers who were saying, well, Jesus is good and that's the right, but now you need to keep the law and you need to do all these things. And so it kind of, it would upset me that he spent, he's going to say in this passage, he said, I feel like I've labored in vain over y'all. You know, because, huh? Yeah. Yeah, labored in vain. That's what, that's what I said. <laughs> but yeah, he's upset. And the, the thing is not... I'm going to bring this to your attention again. I know we've talked about it before, but... In other books that he wrote, like to the Corinthians... Corinthians, Corinth was a horrible church. I mean, the whole book is about problems. Y'all are not doing this right. Y'all are not doing that right. But he still thanked God for them and called them saints at the beginning of the book. This is the only letter that he writes that he says, instead of saying, I thank God for you in the remembrance of my prayers, instead of saying that, he said, I'm marveling that y'all are so quickly removed from the one who called. He said, I'm, I'm marveling that y'all are moving away from God. And so it wasn't, it was that they were, they were laying aside the grace of God and saying, okay, now we've come in through Jesus but now we have to keep the laws in order to be right with God. And Paul was saying, no, that's not true. And what he's going to show us here, we're going to just read the first 20 verses of chapter 4. Uh, what he's going to show us here is he's, he's going to start exhorting them. He's like, you're not slaves to the law anymore. You are children of God. You're sons is what he calls them, sons. You have been adopted by God, and so you need to live like you're adopted by God. Don't go back to the slavery that you came out of. Uh, when he talks about slavery to the law, does that mean that now that we're free from the law, we don't have to worry about keeping the law? No, it's not what that means. Because murder is still wrong. You know, the law of God is still the law of God. What's different now than was before? How can we say that we are worse slaves to the law, but now we're not slaves to the law? If we still keep the law as far as, you know, the moral law. Thou shalt not murder, don't adultery, lying. It's not why we're saved. Okay, that's right. Elaborate. 
the law to them the sin, but grace frees us from That's right. You couldn't do anything but be condemned under the law. The law was never meant to save. Remember last week we talked about the law was never meant to save anybody. It was just a mirror that showed you how wicked you are. It was a mirror that showed you how holy God is. And so the law never saved anybody. And so you were enslaved by the law because the condemnation of the law was always over your head. I mean, you can never do all that needs to be done in order to be right with God. And so it was slavery as you you know, tried to work your way to being right with God. And then all of a sudden, that whole cloud over your head is taken away. And now, the law of God is written on your heart. That's what he says, I'll do, I'll give you a new heart. And the law of God is written on your heart. And so you want to keep the law. It's not like, well, hey, I'm free now, so I'm not going to murder all these people. Yay me. Uh, I still want to keep the law, but I'm not enslaved to the law thinking that, if I don't do one, two, and three right today, that somehow, you know, I'm going to be back under punishment or God's going to be unhappy with me or whatever. Does that make sense? It's the same thing we've always... The gospel is you are absolutely wicked. <coughs> like it or not. Sorry, that's the gospel. You're absolutely wicked. And Christ has given you absolute perfection in His death, burial, and resurrection. And now, if you are saved, God is molding you and making you into a, a new person every day. You're growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when He looks at you, He doesn't see well, you're doing better today than you did yesterday. He sees perfection. He either sees the perfection of His Son or He sees absolute wickedness. Does that make sense? So I'm not saying that you don't grow. I'm not saying you don't keep the law. And we talked about that this morning in early service was that's the one thing people don't like about grace. Religious people will always say, if, you're, if my religion is what's keeping me, what I think is maintaining my salvation, they'll always say, well, that's not fair. You know, so-and-so's got to be like me, or I'm not as bad as whoever, I'm not as bad as whatever we, we talked about this morning. And so, Paul's going to tell them in chapter 4, he's going to say, remember that you were redeemed from this slavery. You were redeemed. And he uses a human example. He says, now I say that uh, the heir, the, he ended chapter 3 by saying we're heirs to the promise through Jesus Christ. And so he begins chapter 4 by saying, now I say that the heir... As long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, if we take the context of what we have learned all the way up until this point, how would you define the elements of the world? What do you think the elements of the world are? Based on what we've... I mean, the subject of this letter has not changed since we started. It's still the same subject. Even though we could probably define elements of the world as all kind of things, what would you think Paul is talking about right here? Elements of the world. What were they doing? They were, what were they wanting to go back to? They were trying to add more into uh, Jesus' salvation by going back to the laws. I mean, back to the ceremony, back to the rituals. And so... What's shocking here is this phrase, elements of the world, is used in other places in the New Testament to talk about uh, pagan gods, elemental spirits, elements like, you know, some people worship wind and fire, earth, wind and fire, not the band, but the earth, wind and fire, you know. Uh, it's used that way, and so I guess some people might actually worship the band, but... 
Uh, it's used that way. And so Paul is actually comparing going, living under the law of Moses for <coughs> salvation to paganism. I bet that would have ticked off some Jewish folks in, in the crowd that were listening to this. Today. He says, just like, let me take a human example here for a minute. Let me stop and take and show you an illustration. If you're an heir to the household of whoever you live under, you know, your father is the great king or whatever, and you're an heir, when you're a child, even though you are the crown prince, even though you are the one who is inheriting all this stuff, the, the king puts you under the, a tutor. He puts you under servants. And so you got to listen to your teacher and you got to, I mean, he's using a human example. He's saying that's what the father did to his people with the law. He says, until the fullness of time came, until God was ready to bring forth his son, he had, he had his people under the, I want to say tutelage, but that's a weird word, under the, under the guardianship of the law. He says, but now you are mature. Now the fullness of time has come. Now Jesus has come and fulfilled all those things. He says, it's like a prince who is a grown man about to take the throne wanting to go back and live under the teacher he had when he was in kindergarten. Does that make sense? Why would you go back to being uh, under the guardianship of your kindergarten teacher when now you're mature and a grown man and the reality has come and you're about to inherit the kingdom? He's saying you have been adopted as a son in God's kingdom. You can't... Why are you trying to go back to the slavery that you used to be under? Do you, uh, do you think it's because... And I'm going into my own here. And the, the old thing, they, they wanted to go back into the law because one, it was <coughs> And two, you know, the salvation of Christ, and, and it is because it is, it was, it's too good to be true. They almost said that it's just too easy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was. You know, where, you know, their whole life had been around rituals. Their whole life had been around, you have to do A, B, and C for your atonement. And now you're just saying it's pain. You know, I'm sure that... Even now, 2,000 years later, that's hard to wrap your mind around. Oh, yeah. And, and remember that the Galatians themselves were mostly Gentiles. So they had probably been serving all kind of pagan gods and altars. But the Jewish people, Jewish people that call themselves, they call themselves Christians, but they're the ones that came in saying, oh, you got to do the law of Moses, whatever. And so I'm sure it sounded good to uh, the Gentiles because it is... I mean, it is too good to be true. And the same thing we, the same, the same thing we, the same thing we said, this, the same thing we said this, this morning, if you weren't here, was the problem that people have with grace is not that grace is free, because everybody likes free grace. The problem is that if grace is totally free and grace is enough to save me, that means I'm on the same level with everybody else. That means I'm the same as a child molester, I'm the same as a murderer, I'm wicked to the core, and that's what we don't want. That's what we, you can't, we, we love to say in our minds, we love to think in our hearts, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I'm not as bad. When the reality is God said that without Christ, we're completely, 100%, totally wicked. There is no goodness in us, not one little bit. So that puts us right on the same level with all the, you know, you think about the wickedest person you can think of in your mind, you and I are right on the same level with them. And that's why grace is so amazing because God has given us perfection even though we didn't deserve it. Now, for somebody like 
you or me, you know, I'm sure none of y'all killed anybody yesterday or robbed a bank or whatever, but we have a tendency to think God just didn't have to reach down as far to get me as he did somebody else, you know what I mean? And that means that, that, means that grace is, uh, that, that's, me saying, that's me saying that uh, I'm kind of adding to my, you know, I, I helped out. I helped Jesus out. You know, he didn't have to he didn't have to reach so far to get me because I'm, you know, basically a good person. That's the problem we have with grace. Are you going to raise your hand or are you just going to do this? When you raise your hand, raise your hand. You can add we it's a cl- class. You can discuss whatever. <laughs> Am I ugly to you when you raise your hand? <laughs> Let's take a vote. Am I ugly to Valerie when she raised her hand? Am I ugly to Valerie? That's how I show love. So shut up. <laughs> no, go ahead. But when they, if, like, if that's why they wanted to do this, like the ceremonies and stuff like that, because they really like other people being able to see them being religious. I'm sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that was. A... And you go to Walmart and you're like, I've been to church and I haven't, you know. <laughs> do people really do that? Oh. Of course not. Of course not. But yeah, that was one of the things that Jesus. That's one of the things that Jesus was all over the Pharisees about. You know, you pray so people can hear your prayers, and you fast so people can see how sorrowful you look, and you everything is external. And so, I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure it is. So he's saying, he's saying, look. You've been you've been redeemed. You have you're an heir of Christ. You're adopted into the family. Why are you wanting to go back to live under the same guardianship of the servants that you you know just like an heir would in a household? He said, now that you've been adopted, and he's going to explain in verse four through seven. He's going to explain that adoption. He says, uh, uh, for four. He says, but when the fullness of time of the time was come, God sent forth His Son. This is how. We were adopted, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now, that he used a human example at the beginning, saying, look... Heirs, even when they're children, they live under the the guardianship of servants. But when they're grown and the fullness of time has come, they get out from under the servants and they become the master, the the Lord over all. And he says, you are heirs in God's kingdom. You are sons adopted into the family. You can't go back and live under the servant because (coughs) Jesus has come forth. And he explained how you became mature is probably not a good way to put it but in the example that he used the heir becomes the prince the ruler when he is mature when he grows and becomes a man takes the kingdom but uh, until while well, he's a child he's under the under the service he says well the fullness of time came when God sent forth his son this son was born of a woman meaning that he was took on flesh like us became like us submitted himself to humbled himself to become like us And he was born under the law so that he would redeem those who are under the law. What does it mean to be under the law? Are we still under the law? The moral law. 
That's why I'm asking, what does it mean? Some, some of y'all shaking your head yes, some of y'all saying no. And in one way we are, and in one way we aren't. So don't worry about being wrong, because either way, you're kind of sort of right. What? In this, in this example that Paul's talking about, is the law itself the, I'm going to say the, kind of like the servant? Yes, the guardian, the tutor, is the law. Right. And the heir is the child that's under the tutor, learning from the tutor, being administrated by the tutor. I just like saying tutor, so I say it. Yeah. But what is under the? Are we still under the law? No. No, we are not. We are not under the law as far as under the condemnation of the law, but that. We are under the law in the sense that we don't we don't murder and we don't you know it's still breaking the law to murder. But Paul's talking about here is under the law is using the law to gain our righteousness. Um, the law kind of guides our morals. Yeah, it's a, yes, it's a guide. It's a, he said that in the last. It's a in the you had pneumonia last week, but. He said that uh, last week, he said, well, you weren't here. We talked about the law as the schoolmaster that, that guided you to, to Christ. Um, and once again, when we say, I wish we, we could go back and talk about the different kinds of law. Because you got the moral law, which is, you know, don't murder, don't kill, don't adultery, don't lie, don't... Then you got the ceremonial law, which is all the sacrifices, the rituals, the feasts, the robes, and the temples, and the, all that's gone. That's been fulfilled by Christ. And then you have civil law, which is also gone. But he's saying we are not under, he says, you are not under the uh, authority of the law to gain righteousness. That's what these people wanted to do. That's what the Galatians were being told they had to do, was to go back and keep all the feasts, all the festivals, all the meat laws, all the, the circumcision. Uh, they were saying you have to go and do these things in order to be right with God. You have professed Jesus. That's great. That's a good start. Now you have to live this way in order to be right with God. You probably won't have anybody ever tell you you need to be circumcised or you need to go sacrifice a goat. But you will, over and over again, have people, especially in quote-unquote Christian circles and Christian books, that will tell you Jesus and salvation is just a good start to this life. Now you need to go to the meatier things. You need to go to the real teaching of God. You need to get more spiritual. You need to go, you need to do all these things, but salvation is really just the door. <laughs> Get through the door, then get on with your spiritual life. That is false. That is not true, as not the view of the biblical authors. Salvation is, uh, is, it is the Christian life. The gospel is everything that you need for life and godliness in this life. It's everything. It's the deep theology of God. It's the meat. It's, it's everything. Jesus is sufficient. He's enough and the teaching of God's grace, the living in God's grace, it's sufficient for anything that you'll ever need. Does that make sense? So he's saying under the law in the sense as the law's condemnation is still hanging over your head. And I am, I am, it's like, a, it's like one of my kids. If they're, you know, my kids, are, they get rowdy, they get disrespectful, they, whatever. 
But none of them are walking on eggshells thinking that, you know, if I mess up one more time, you know, they may say, if I mess up one more time, dad's going to whip me or whatever. But they'll never say, if I mess up one more time, dad's going to throw me out of the house and disown me. You know what I mean? I mean, even if I did throw him out of the house, he's still my son. I can't do nothing about that. I can't, you know, whatever. He's still my son. I'm still his dad. And so that's the thing that Paul is saying here. He's saying you have been adopted into the family of God. You've been adopted by God. And in those days, as well as today, when you adopt someone, they have all the rights and privileges of an actual biological heir, a son, a daughter in your house. I mean, they, there's not no second class and first class sons. Even back in the Roman days, when a Roman adopted somebody, he became heir to all the Romans' stuff. He became a legitimate son. And so he's saying, you can't go back to the slavery. You can't go back to the servanthood of thinking, well, I've got to do rule number one, two, and three in order to stay right with God. No, you've been adopted into his family. And so, therefore, you're an heir with God. Does that make sense? What? When I, when I read this section... I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at your wife. She's laughing at me. It, it was almost the crux of what he's saying in this whole chapter right in here. Yeah. And, and being adopted and receiving his spirit into our hearts, I mean, that, that, that's... That's the fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I think he uses that. That's the stuff, right? That's the stuff, yeah. yeah. He uses that. The, the fulfillment of all the promises that were ever given to Moses, Abraham, whatever, is fulfilled in Christ and the Spirit coming to live within us. God, the, the, from the very beginning, God's promise was, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will dwell with you and I will live among you and whatever. And all through salvation history, he dwelt among his people with tabernacle and temple and all those things. And now he dwells in us. And Paul is saying, look, he has given you the end, the fulfillment of all of this in, your, in the spirit. There's no greater fulfillment that he can give. There's no greater adoption that he can do. There's no higher status or higher level that he can give you than perfect in him. Why are you going back to the shadows and the, back to the things that pointed toward the fulfillment when the fulfillment's already come? The Spirit has been shed forth in your heart and now the Spirit is the Spirit in you that cries, Abba, Father. Abba is just a... I don't like saying Daddy because that's... the, But it's very... Uh, you know, it's intimate. It's not like, Father, can I have some pudding? It's not like that. Y'all ever seen that commercial? <laughs> anyway, it's not like that. It's like... Okay, anyway, we get the point of that. Okay, we're no longer slaves. And so, in verses 8 through 20, which is kind of the big section, we're not going to read them all at one time, but the whole section is, look, now that your sons... You need to walk as, as sons and daughters. You need to walk as if you are adopted in God's family. You don't need to walk under the servitude of, of trying to keep laws in order to be righteous. You, you don't walk that way anymore. You don't live that way anymore. You don't go back to the same slavery that you came out of. Uh, verse 8 and 9. Oh, and 10. We'll just read them all together. It says... Now that your sons, is what he's saying, how be it, verse 8, how be it then when you knew not God, 
you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. He's talking about the Galatians. Before they became Christians, they were just regular old pagans. He says, but now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, now that you've been saved and have come into right relation with God, it says, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto you desire again to be in bondage? What are those weak and beggarly elements? Verse 10. You observe days, months, times, and years. What are the days, months, times, and years? The festivals. Yeah, the Sabbath day, the weeks, the months, the monthly lunar festivals, the yearly festivals. The Now, think about this for a minute. He's putting two things together. He's saying, now Galatians, before you came to know Christ, you served idols. You served things that weren't gods, basically what he said. You served all the, you know, whatever, pagan things that they do in Galatia, whatever they are. He says, but now that you know God, now that you are known of God, now that He has adopted you, you're wanting to go back to the same idolatry that you came out of. And he describes that idolatry as days, months, season, and years. So look at what he's doing. He's saying, he's saying, that going back to the law, going back to the religion, going back to Judaism is the same as idolatry, isn't it? He's saying, let's read it again, just to make sure that you catch it. It says, he says, when you didn't know God, verse 8, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. Verse 8, he said, you served other gods when you didn't know God. Verse 9 says, but now that you know God, now that you've been saved, he says, why do you want to turn again to those weak and beggarly elements? That's the same word we saw earlier. And you want to be in bondage to them again. And then he describes them by saying that they're days, months, times, and years. I bet he, I bet he was, man, I bet the Jewish law keepers in the crowd when, he, when the, this letter was read, I bet that they just lost their mind. Basically, he's saying if you go back to thinking that you can earn your salvation, if you go back to thinking that you can keep law and make God proud of you or make yourself right with God, you are going into idolatry. Uh, that was a huge thing for a Jewish man or woman would never, never, you know, although they ended up being led away into idolatry throughout the Old Testament, during the time of Christ, that was no, that was no, no. You know, there's only one God. We serve Him in the temple. Uh, you can't say we're going to go over here and worship on this other hill because this is where worship is. The Samaritan woman at the well said that. And, and that was just a, that was a huge deal. But here Paul's saying, if you go back to the law, if you go back to thinking you can earn your righteousness before God and that Jesus has not paid it all, you're serving another God. You're not serving the God of the Bible. You're not serving the God of Scripture. Now that's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? And you see, do you see why Paul was so upset through this letter? He said, I'm, just, uh, I'm, I'm marveling that you guys are turning. At the very beginning of the letter, he said, you are turned away from Him that called you. He said, you're leaving God. You're leaving your fellowship with God by turning back to the law, by turning back to bondage, by thinking that you can earn by religion or works or any other thing. You're turning away from God and you're going back to these weak and, and beggarly elements. Any questions? No? 
Alright, so verse, uh, what were we at? Verse 11. And this is where Paul says, look, I'm, I'm afraid of you. He's not afraid of you like, oh, I'm scared you're going to hurt me. He's, af- he's afraid for them. He said, I'm scared for you guys. Because, understand, this is, not just a, this is not just an issue where, you know, there are things that we can agree to disagree about, you know. I mean, like the end times or whatever, that's a perfect example. You might think it's going to happen this way, and I might think it's going to happen this way, and you know what, it's okay. We can still have pizza together, and we can still hang out and worship together, whatever. This is not one of these issues. If you don't, if, if Paul said, look, if you don't accept that Jesus paid it all, if you don't accept that he is the perfect redemption for our sin and that we can't add anything to he says i i'm thinking i labored in vain over y'all i'm thinking you never did accept this salvation that's offered in the first place it says verse 11 says i'm afraid of you lest i have bestowed upon you you labor in vain unless 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 i've been working for no reason i come and i minister to you the gospel and gave you the gospel and preached to you all that's all that's in vain if you don't understand that jesus paid it all if you don't understand that you can't earn anything before god uh, he is actually you know some i guess i've kind of made it sound like through the course of these going through this is that he was really mad and I'm sure he was, but he was, yeah, he was more upset for him. He was more upset that, you know, I spent that time with you and I preached to you and I loved you. You know, I mean, you you have a sense of a shepherd watching his sheep get eaten, really, by these guys that are saying, you know what, you, you got to go back and keep the law. And so he's saying, you know, he, he's basically just begging them from coming. He's begging them to come out from bondage. Verse 12 says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as you are. And then from there to verse 20, he goes back to talking about their relationship together. But what does it mean, be as I am, because I have become as you are? What do you think? Was he trying to say we're both in this thing through faith? Yeah, yeah. He's saying, I want I you to... Be than you are. Yeah, well, that's right. He's saying, be like me, because I've become like you. Uh, Paul, remember the thing Paul had with Peter in chapter 2? Paul was not a man that kept law in order to be right with God. He was a man that believed by faith in Jesus Christ. And he said, I become all things to all people that I might win a few. He said, when I'm with Gentiles, I eat Gentile food. And when I'm with Jews, in, in order to keep from offending them, I'll eat, you know, Jewish food. You know, whatever. And so he was, he was a man that was born... A Jewish man, but he had he had taken on living with the Gentiles because he knew that salvation came through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's, he's telling them, "Be like me." He says, "Trust only in Christ." He said, "Because I have become like you. I've become a Gentile. When I lived among you, I became a Gentile, and I threw away all that heritage. I threw away all that tradition. I threw away all that religious feasts and festivals." I threw away who I am as a Jewish man so I could be with you and minister the gospel. He says, and now you're going to the thing that I threw away in order to minister to you with. That makes sense? You're going to the... I threw... Yeah, I got it. That's right. Y'all understand? You're going back to the same slavery. Okay, and so... 12 through 16, he's reminding them about their relationship. He says, you know what, you, you've, done, you've done me no wrong. Remember when I was with you, 
you know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel to you. And my temptation or trial which was in my flesh you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. He's saying, where is then the blessedness you spoke of? Where is the happiness you spoke of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The whole section... It seems like he's taking a side road right here, but the whole section is saying, "When I was with you, you accepted me, even though I'm not the, you know, even though I'm not the greatest guy. I had physical problems, I had issues going on. We don't know exactly what they were. Um, but we can talk about that, but it's not really relevant. But even though I had all these things going on, you accepted me, and you you are blessed by the gospel that I preached, and you accepted the gospel." He said, "Now that I'm gone from you, and these guys have moved in." How have I all of a sudden become your enemy? How have I become your enemy? What has changed in the time that since I was there preaching with you? What's changed between then and now when you accepted the gospel and you were blessed by the gospel and you received the Holy Spirit and all those things? What's changed? And that's basically what he's saying. What's Man, the argument? that is so lined up with what goes on today because a lot of people will start a church and they have a hero worship with the, the pastor and then pastor hurts their feelings and like that's the rottenest stinking person I know I mean, and it's lining up oh yeah it's, that's why I just try to be the rottenest stinkingest from the very beginning that way Everybody knows. No disappointments. Yeah, no disappointments. You just know. You hear, you hear long enough, I'm going to hurt your feelings, period. That's how I roll. So they know on the front end. <laughs> what was I saying? Well, really, with what all you're saying there, they, they are falling prey to the typical human thing. We, we like things that are before us. And, and he's trying to... <laughs> show them that it's by faith and not by what's in front of us. Exactly. He's not there in front of them. They're supposed to still be living by faith, not by what's in front of them. Exactly. Exactly. Verse 17 through 20, we're done. It says, Paul says, am I now your enemy? You know, and these guys are your buds now that I'm gone and they're bringing this new teaching in. He says, he says, they, who are they? They zealously affect you. Who are they? The false teachers, that's right. The Jewish Judaizers, the whatever. He said, they're, they zealously affect you. mean, they, they're, they're zealous to come after you. They're zealous to come and change your mind. They're, they're, they're really wanting you to come follow them. Uh, verse, yeah. But not well. He says, not for a good reason. You know, he says, they want to exclude you. That you might affect them. What he's saying there is, he's saying, he's saying, they are they they want you. They're seeking after you, but not for a good reason. They want to exclude you from the kingdom so that you'll have to seek after them to get it. Does that make sense? So instead of just being a son of God or a daughter of God in the family of God, now. All of a sudden, you have to come to this guy who can tell you how to be a son of God. Or so they're seeking after you to pull followers to themselves. They're seeking after you so that in order to be right with God, you're going to have to come and know what I know. You're going to have to come and be like me. You're going to have to come and take counsel and teaching and instruction from me. You see what he's doing? He's saying, this is the slavery that you're giving yourself back into. You're going back. Jesus has become your high priest. He has given you all access to the Father, whatever. And you're going back to you're going back to these men who want to be 
quote unquote priest over you. They want to be ruler over you. Does that make sense? And you can, we can apply that in lots of different ways today. Um, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing and not only when I'm present with you. That is, he's saying I, I'm zealous for you in a good way. Not so that I can be ruler over you, but so that you can be in, be in God's kingdom. My little children of, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed with you. I desire to be present with you now and change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. He's saying, I wish I was there so you could hear my voice. You know, this is, this is very important. Um, in verse 19, he says, I, I'm going to keep travailing in birth uh, with you until Christ be formed in you. He said, the reason why I'm working so hard is not to get you to come after me like those other teachers are. The reason I'm working so hard is to get Christ to be formed in you and for you to be a child and son, daughter of God. That makes sense? He's trying to get them to see that they're just wanting them for selfish reasons. And Paul is just trying to show them the right way that it's for Christ, not for Right. He loves them. Yeah. Not that not he doesn't he doesn't just want followers. He, he loves them. But the whole teaching and the whole thing we can sum up and we'll end right here is you, if you are in Christ and you've trusted in Christ, you have become an adopted heir into the family of God. You have all the rights, all the privileges. The Bible says that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The same way that the Father looks at His Son Jesus is the way that He looks at those who are in Jesus. Those who are the body of Christ. And so, when He looks at you, when He looks at me, if we've been saved by grace through faith then he sees perfection. He sees the blood and the perfection, 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 perfection of his son. And if we ever start falling back into the mindset that I am earning my way before God or that I have to earn my way before God or that I have, I'm not as bad as some other people or that grace isn't the only thing and the sufficient thing for my salvation, we are trailing off into idolatry. We are following a God that doesn't exist. Because the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, only accepts his, the perfection of His Son. And so you and I will either be found in that perfection and live eternally with Him, or we'll be found absolutely wicked and be separated from Him forever. There's no middle ground. You can't mix grace and works. As soon as you add a work to it, grace is no longer grace. It has to be absolutely unmerited, absolutely free, absolutely without merit or earned, or it's not grace. It's something else. Does that make sense? So what he's saying is, he's saying, don't try to go back into slavery. Don't try to go back. If you've been adopted, you've been adopted. And you are perfect in Christ. Um, now we've got the law written on our heart. If you've been to church here long enough to know that I'm not saying it's okay to run off and sin. But what I am saying is that there is no more perfection. That There's no more goodness that He can add to you. There's no greater level, no higher standard, no, no next rung on the ladder that you can reach. 
And lots of Christian authors, lots of Christian preachers, lots of Christian people will tell you, if you can just get this, if you can just do these three steps, or if you can just, if you can just do this one thing, your life will be better. Your victory will be assured. You can walk in joy and peace. The truth is that Jesus has given it all. And all that we have to do now is grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. You can, I said this morning, right, and we're leaving. You can throw, I mean, the people, people make millions of dollars today on Christian books that tell you if you just follow this method, if you just follow this procedure, you can have a victorious whatever, you can have a whatever. Millions of books. And people go and they buy them and they read them and it's all good and they, you know, they, they think they have found the key to all the stuff and then three weeks later they're back in the same old pit they were and well now I need a new book and here comes a new one on the shelf next week's coming out you know new teaching and new all these other things the reality is that when you start following after those things to make you righteous before God you're following a different God he's given everything that you need in Jesus Christ are there methods and principles that we need to learn from scripture yeah sure But they don't make us more righteous. They don't make us more victorious. They don't make us anything. They make us more obedient. They make us grow closer to God. But that doesn't make us more righteous. Doesn't make us more saved. Doesn't make us more holy. Jesus has made us perfect in all those areas. That makes sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Any questions? Nope. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you.